Uh, greetings. Uh, on today's podcast, we will be discussing and diving deep into the word um, relative to the idea of perfection and redemption. So, enjoy. So, we be- believe that we're perfect before we behave perfectly. Is redeemed perfect? If redeemed is perfect, then did God create us perfectly when he designed us? Does God make anything imperfect? Or is God not perfect? Did God make Adam perfect before he and Eve fell? Yes, he he did, didn't he? So, since God made Adam and Eve perfect, he made the plants in the garden and the animals perfect, then when you were redeemed, what you were redeemed to? The Song of Solomon says that every part of you is so beautiful, my darling. Perfect is your beauty, without flaw within. Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians chapter 3, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. That is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life and now your true life is hidden away in God in Christ. In Christ, as he himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are, will also be revealed. For you are now one with him in his glory. So therefore, live as one who has died to every form of sexual sin and impurity. Live as one who has died to the desires of forbidden things, including the desire for wealth, which is the essence of idol worship. But now it's time to eliminate them, these things from your lives once and for all, anger, fits of rage, all forms of hatred, cursing, filthy speech, and lying. Lay aside your old Adam self with its masquerade and disguise. So what is it like to live as one who has died to something? You're incapable of doing it. If somebody dies, they're no longer able to move. 
They're dead. Are you dead to sin? Would you like to be dead to sin? Okay. I assume you're saying, yes, you'd like to be dead to sin, but what about, are you dead to sin? So live as one who has died to sin. Live as one who has died to sin. Now, when somebody accuses you of sin, do you immediately agree with them? Oh, I'm a sinner. I can never be perfect. Oh, I always need a savior. I always need him to come rescue me. Or is what Jesus did empowering you to live as he lives? See, we're moving into the relationship with God that we're no longer immature sinners saved by grace. We're actually living as he lives. You are to live as he lives. So live as he lives. For grace is to empower you to live as he lives, not to constantly rescue you or atone for your sins, for your constant failure. For there are many who would rather boast in their ability to sin, falsely humbling themselves and appeasing their hearts, meaning they're more comfortable in staying where they are that is unable to live as he lives, unable to raise the dead, unable to cast out demons, unable to heal the sick at a word. So believing that they're incapable of doing that causes them to feel more comfortable in their hearts because of the the standard that Christ has set is so high. Right? So when they say I'm I'm always a sinner, I can never reach that goal of perfection that Jesus says we can reach and that we are and we have. But beware because there is a comfort that one can have in falsely humbling themselves and not uh, striving for the goal set before us so we are to reach for the goal of Christ so in Hebrews 12 uh, Paul writes to the, to the Hebrews we look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation on to Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. Also, Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. 
And in Hebrews chapter 4, it reads, Now the promise of entering into God's rest is still for us today. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, the Israelites in the wilderness. Yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. So, rest, confident faith, perfection, you have it. You have these gifts. And you will begin to see them manifest around you. You will begin to see the sick being healed. Let me say that again. You will see and experience the sick around you being healed. Let me say that a third time. You will experience your in your relationships people that you hear about people that you know people that are in close relationship with you say a family members on the phone with somebody or is talking to somebody who's sick you will in your day see miraculous transformations that can only be accredited to the grace and the glory of God. Remember, because we live by faith and not by sight. Many, many, many people, many Christians, many so-called believers do not live by faith. Yet that is the, the ground level of our faith, is that we live by faith and not by sight. So don't let what you see determine what you believe. But be willing to extend your faith into a realm or an atmosphere where there is none. For this is your strength and this is your ability and your duty for having been saved unto the building of a great kingdom in Jesus' name. You are now a warrior, a soldier of faith. Right? For we do not war against the flesh. We do not war against the physical, things in the physical, but we wage a battle in the spirit realm, the realm where faith 
is a weapon and your salvation is a protection. The sword of truth is a weapon. You have a breastplate of righteousness where God has declared you righteous, which protects you from the arrows of accusation, the arrows that say, you're imperfect. You couldn't be good. You're not good. You're a sinner. These are all arrows and accusations of the enemy. Jesus has freed you from these accusations so that you would live strong, faithful, glorified, empowered in faith, in truth. You are a faithful son of the Most High God. Let's go back a little bit. Hebrews 4.1 says, We must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise to rest. Man, I don't know about you, but when I'm resting, I mean really resting, like resting like a baby rests in its mother's, you know, in its mother's arms, even milk, milking on the mother like a baby can rest. You know, is Jesus not the milk? Is that, is heaven not the land of milk and honey and wine? Is the rest that we're experiencing really rest? Is it really something that Jesus died to give you uh, something partial or something incomplete? Well, let us have a look in Scripture. When Jesus was nearly crucified, nearly dead, on the cross. John chapter 19, chapter 29. Chapter 19, verse 29 says, A jar of sour wine was sitting nearby. So they soaked a sponge with it and put it on the stalk of hyssop and raised it to his lips. When he had sipped the sour wine, he said, It is finished, my bride. Okay, let's unpack this. So, hyssop is a branch that points to the sacrificial death of Jesus. Hyssop is first mentioned in Ezekiel, sorry, Exodus chapter 12, in reference to the application of the lamb's blood upon the doorposts of the homes of the Hebrews the night of Passover. Hyssop was also used for the cleansing of lepers and points to the cleansing of our souls that happened when Jesus was crucified for sinners who are also spiritually lepers. Okay? So, it is finished, my bride. This is from the Hebrew word kalah, which has a homonym that means fulfilled, completed, finished. And it also means bride. So Jesus finished the work of our salvation the salvation for his bride. Although the completed work of salvation was finished on the cross, 
Jesus continues to work through his church today to extend God's kingdom realm on the earth and glorify the Father through us. He continues to work in us to accomplish all that his cross and resurrection have purchased for us, his bride. His cross fulfilled and finished the prophecies of the Messiah's first coming to the earth, and there was nothing written that was not fulfilled and now offered to his bride. Now, we, we, we know that Jesus is coming back, but let us look when he's coming back. He says in, in, the, in Acts chapter 3, verse 21, he says, For Jesus must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things has taken place, fulfilling everything that God said long ago through his holy prophets. Or in Ephesians chapter 4, the same one who descended is also the one who ascended above the heights of heaven in order to begin the restoration and fulfillment of all things. Or in Revelation chapter 14, no one could learn the song, the special song of the new heaven, except the 144,000 who had been redeemed and who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins, they're pure, and they join themselves to the Lamb wherever he goes. They have been purchased from humanity and brought forth as the first fruits for God and the Lamb, and their words are always true, for they are without flaw. So Jesus is coming back for a pure bride. He's also not coming back until the restoration of all things has taken place. So he's waiting on you and I to begin the restoration of all things or to continue it within our lives. So we live by faith. We believe that our lives have been restored. Our original innocence has been restored. Our humanity has been restored. Our beauty has been restored. Our wealth has been restored. Our sanity has been restored. Our relationship with Yahweh is restored. There's nothing that hasn't been restored in you. And let us believe that before we see it. Let us believe it now. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. For a righteous man, though he may fall seven times, he will rise again. Yet the wicked, they are overthrown by calamity.
if you make a mistake and believe a lie about who you are and then act unbecoming of a son of God, don't let that rattle your feathers too much. Come back to Jesus. It says we have a Savior constantly interceding for us in the Spirit. Let him atone for you. Come back to relationship with him. That you would see who you truly are and believe again what he paid for. That you would be flawless. And because you are flawless. For these are the words of Jesus. Since you are children of a perfect father in heaven, become perfect like him. Matthew 5.48 Now do you think Jesus would ask us to do something we can't do? Now how do we become perfect? The word of God says that we are not perfect by our works, lest anyone should boast. This is very clear throughout scripture. We do not become perfect by actions, but by rather his actions, by Jesus' actions, his atoning sacrifice and purification, have we become perfect. For it says his resurrection, for Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God in Christ. Yes, so what I'm saying is you died, and you were born again. Jesus answered, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can even perceive God's kingdom, they must first be reborn. Reborn? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It's impossible for anyone to go back into the womb a second time and be reborn. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Do you believe that you've been reborn? Is that something that you can experience? Do you know and can you see God's kingdom? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And just as Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica of a venomous snake on a pole for all the people to be see, to see and be healed, so the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up, so that those who truly believe in him will not perish, but be given eternal life. For here is the way God loved the world. He gave his only unique Son as a gift, so that everyone who believes in him will never die, but experience everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to judge it and condemn it, but to be its Savior 
and to rescue it. So now there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him. But the unbeliever already lives under condemnation, for they do not believe in the name of the only Son of God. And here is the basis for their judgment. The light of God has now come into the world, but the people loved darkness more than the light, because they want the darkness to conceal their evil. So the wicked hate the light and try to hide from it, for the light fully exposes their lives. But those who love the truth will come into the light, for the light will reveal that it was God who produced their fruitful works. Now the word of God says that God does not remember your sin. He says he forgets them as far as the east is from the west. So why are you remembering them? You don't need to. I know you don't want to. Or would you rather be greater than God who already saved you from sin? Perhaps you would rather be the hero instead of letting it already be finished. So let us just let Jesus, let us let Jesus be the hero. Give the glory to God, which will keep you from pride and the fall. Or would you rather go back into self-centeredness, the flesh? No, you wouldn't do that. Let's give God the glory, give God the trophy. God is our champion. We don't need the glory to feel glorified. It is not our glory, it's his glory that he's living through us. It's how it was designed that he would radiate. His radiance, hallelujah, would be yours, but it's not yours. It's his. And you give thanks. We give thanks for his radiance. We give thanks for love. For we are empowered by love, empowered by Christ. For we are connected to God. And the life of God flows through our veins. In the same way that Jesus could not do anything without the Father, we cannot do anything without the Father either. We need to be attached to the vine to produce fruit. So we no longer are seeking to be glorified in and of our own strength, but we are attending to God who has already declare that he wishes to glorify us. For those who are called are chosen, and those who are chosen are justified, and those who are justified are glorified. 
So what if you were to let God be God? Let God flow through you and do the work that God does. Let the flow flow through you. Let his love flow through you. And don't kink the hose by thinking or wanting to own it. But stay open, thankful, and receive and give the love that he wants to give. Because it's not your love, it's his. It's not your glory, it's his. Wake up, O ye gates. Wake up, you living gateways. Lift up your heads, you doorways of eternity. And welcome the King of glory, for he is about to come through you. You ask, who is this King of glory? Yahweh, armed and ready for battle. Yahweh, invincible in every way. So wake up, you living gateways, and rejoice. Fling wide you eternal doors. He is the King of glory. Do you trust him? Will you let him? Let him smother me with kisses, his spirit kiss divine. So kind are your caresses, I drink them in like the sweetest wine. Your presence releases a fragrance so pleasing. Over and over poured out for your lovely name is flowing oil. No wonder the brides-to-be adore you. Draw me into your heart and we will run away together into the king's cloud-filled chamber. Let him. Let him. Let him. Let him. Let him, let him, let him, let him, let him, let him who has the power, let him who has the glory let him who has the strength deliver you let him who knows all things let him who sees all things let him who sees the end from the beginning and holds the keys. Let him, let him, let him.
let him fully and totally let him fully and completely let him yet you are so lovely like fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. Why, why should I be like a veiled woman as I wander among the flocks of your shepherds? Listen, my radiant one, if you ever lose sight of me, just follow in my footsteps where I lead my lovers. Come with your burdens and cares, Come to the place near the sanctuary of my shepherds. My dearest one, let me tell you how I see you. To gaze upon you is like looking at one of Pharaoh's finest horses, a strong, regal steed pulling his royal chariot. Your tender cheeks are beautiful. Your earrings and gem-laden necklaces set them ablaze. We will enhance your beauty with golden ornaments studded with silver. Oh, how glorious is this God, the one that we have and know. He is our namesake. He is our father, and he is our brother, and he is our lover, and we know him. Yes, we know him. We know him. We don't simply know about him, but we know him. We know him. Yes, we know him. Do you remember when Peter denied Jesus before the cross three times? Haven't we denied him time after time? But yet, after his resurrection, he appeared to Peter and asked him three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? So feed my sheep. We know him. We know who the one is from the beginning. He, we know who the, the one who is before It was before time began, before, he's before. He is before all things. He is before the beginning. In the beginning, the word was already there. And the Word was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. And through His creative inspiration, this living expression, this Word, made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. Did you know 
that the enemy, that Satan can't create a thing, but he only perverts. So everything that is and has been created has a, a righteous, real love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts, or perfect love casts out all fear. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. So let us cast aside the fear of judgment, the fear of punishment. Jesus had arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well and sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Jacob's well was a spring-fed well. This well becomes a picture of the spring of the Jacob life inside of every one of us. Fed by Adam's fall, this spring has flowed through all of humanity, but Jesus sat as a lid to Jacob's well, sealing its polluted stream. In Christ, Jacob's clever striving has ended. A living well has become a lid to Jacob's well, as Jesus sat there ready to give his living water to all who would come and drink. A well sat upon a well. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. She replied, Why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replied, If you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. Living water. Living water. Living water. The woman replied, But sir, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is very deep, so where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it himself, along with his children and livestock? Yeshua answered, If you drink from Jacob's well, you will be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never be thirsty again. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, flooding you with endless life. The woman replied, Let me drink this water so that I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. Jesus said, Go get your husband and bring him back here. But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, for you've been married five times, and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. The woman changed the subject. 
you must be a prophet. So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God on this nearby mountain? But your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where people must worship. Who is right? Jesus responded, Believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you will worship the Father, neither on a mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship, but we Jews worship out of our experience. For it's from the Jews that salvation is available. So from now on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with a right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. The woman said, this is all so confusing, but I do know that the anointed one is coming the true Messiah, and when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. And Jesus said to her, You don't have to wait any longer. The Anointed One is here, speaking with you. I am the one you are looking for.